Hello and welcome to the Star Trek Academy, a podcast about the latest new episodes of Star Trek. Today it's episode 7 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, The Serene Squall. I'm Michael Merrick. Our regular Academy faculty member, Rodney Kopp, is on a short sabbatical, you might say, and will return in two weeks. We had anticipated having a guest with me this week and next week. That didn't work out for this week. You might say life got in the way, but I am still expecting him to be a guest next time around. So you'll just have me today, and we will follow our regular format for the podcast, beginning with a brief summary of Strange New Worlds, Episode 7, The Serene Squall, particularly if you're listening to this podcast down the road, not right after the episode premieres, the summary will uh, refresh your memory. T'Pring is working in a logic rehabilitation center for Vulcan criminals, She believes that Spock wants to explore his human side, but her belief about that makes Spock uncomfortable. Dr. Aspen is on board the Enterprise after asking for help to rescue three colony ships that have lost power on the edge of Federation space close to a month ago, but there is a pirate ship in the area. Aspen was a Federation counselor, but is now working privately Enterprise finds two of the ships destroyed and receives a distress signal from another. When the landing party boards it, including Pike and Una, they are all captured by pirates. Other pirates beam aboard Enterprise and take control of the command codes. The landing party foments a mutiny among the crew of the pirate ship, which is the Serene Squall. The plot twist is that Dr. Aspen is an imposter and is actually captain of the Serene Squall, named Angel. Angel wants to exchange Spock for a Vulcan imprisoned under T'Pring's care, who is Angel's lover. Angel forces T'Pring to rendezvous with Enterprise because of a threat on Spock's life, and uh, she comes bringing the Vulcan prisoner, Xavieris, for a prisoner exchange. But Spock and Chapel pretend to be having an affair, including a long kiss in front of Angel and T'Pring on the view screen. And that leads to T'Pring and Spock dissolving their bonding, so the exchange will not take place. Then the Serene Squall shows up with Pike and the landing party in control of the bridge. They use Wrath of Khan type prefix codes to drop Enterprise shields and disable phasers. Defeated, Angel beams out to a waiting shuttle and disappears. Later, T'Pring says that she knew Spock was faking the affair with Chapel, although Chapel appears to wish it was real. Spock determines that Angel's lover is actually Cybok, Spock's half brother, who has embraced emotion. So that's our episode summary. Here are some things I noticed about this episode. And let's start with Cybok. Spock says that Cybok is a son of Sarek born out of wedlock. Now in Star Trek V, Spock says Cybok is the son of Sarek and a Vulcan princess. I always assumed that this was his first wife, but it is true that in the Next Generation episode, Sarek, They stated specifically that Spock's mother, Amanda, was Sarek's first wife, which apparently led the writers of the current episode here to write 
the out-of-wedlock statement. In some ways, this episode is reminiscent of Balance of Terror in the original series, in which Kirk was on his own because it would take too long for a message to reach Starfleet Command and get a reply. Pike is in a similar situation here, it seems, for his decision to help with the rescue mission, and uh, certainly with his decision to leave Federation space. While Angel is off Serene Squall, an Orion named Remy is in charge. His dialect, though, is clearly pirate English. He sounded a lot like Captain Barbosa in Pirates of the Caribbean. Pike, of course, made fun of the accent at the end of the episode. And speaking of uh, names, Cybok is using the name Xavieris. Now, fans may recognize the similarity to Professor Xavier in the X-Men. Xavier is Spanish for new home and also for bright. And the name's considered as a name to have originated with the 16th century Catholic priest and missionary, St. Francis Xavier. Now, in this episode, Cybok is lover of Angel, and the names Angel and Xavier both have religious connotations. We know that some years after this episode in the movie, Cybok will be literally looking for God and will, in effect, be a missionary. The advanced publicity for this episode, and also some discussion in the ready room for this episode, identify Angel as non-binary. Now, Star Trek is known for representation, and a non-binary character is not at all surprising in Strange New Worlds. It's also fine with me that being non-binary is not a plot point, but just part of the background of the character. But I do have to say that in this case, I think that the representation maybe could have been a little more obvious. About the only evidence is Angel complimenting to bring on her beauty, which does not really scream being non-binary. And then the use of they and them as singular personal pronouns in reference to Angel. I also have to say that as a past journalist and more recently a pretty successful scholarly writer, I have trouble using they and them as singular pronouns for reasons that have nothing to do with LGBTQ acceptance, but simply my training on traditional grammar, I guess you'd say. In this episode, the writers could have written each of the sentences using they and them in a different way to not need pronouns at all. That's not really that hard to do for an experienced writer. So I expect that it was a conscious choice of the writers aligning with LGBTQ representation in modern Star Trek. And finally, for this section of the podcast, when Pike is on the bridge of the Serene Squall, he's standing behind what is essentially a ship's wheel. We see a similar wheel in the Enterprise Lounge in Star Trek V in the movie, uh, which is the movie in which Cybok appears. I don't know exactly how a wheel like that would be used to control the ship, but we saw it there. So let's talk about meaning of the episode. What messages did the writers and the producers want us to take away from this episode? And I think the overall theme of the episode is, who is Spock? While still masquerading as Dr. Aspen, Angel tells Spock he should not put himself in a box. 
And later Angel tells him that human versus Vulcan is a false choice that you might say Angel didn't put it this way, but is a non-binary choice. The question Angel says is not what Spock is, but who he is. And T'Pring later tells Spock that his human side can be a source of strength, which reinforces that message. And again, this sounded a lot like comment on today's identity politics, where race, immigrant status, liberal versus conservative, LGBTQ orientation, these are all boxes that people want to put other people in. Uh, in the original series, now Spock also struggled with the two sides of his personality, but I think then we didn't have the subtext of the identity boxes that people put others into today or that they are put into by others. And Spock's struggle between these two extremes was part of what made him uh, a popular character, I think. And, and I think that beyond today's politically motivated boxes, Many people do live in two worlds. I'm thinking, for example, of second generation members of immigrant families who maybe function in one culture at work and school and another when they're at home with their older family members. My Native American friends and students also tend to have their feet in two cultures. And the depiction of Spock in the original series essentially, I think, had him believing that emotions were wrong and in effect fighting temptation. And so in effect, uh, that was a binary right and wrong that he was perceiving in the original series. He was alone and you might say a stranger among people who constantly were expressing emotions. I think that at least some elements of culture believe that you don't have to be black and white one way or the other, and that there is plenty of space in between so that choices are not very often truly binary, and that people don't have to put themselves in boxes. Not everyone believes that, of course, but it certainly is the perspective that modern Star Trek aligns with. Angel's actions are fundamentally unethical, blackmailing to Pring to try to get her to release Cybok, as well as the intention to sell the Enterprise crew into slavery and to sell the ship itself, the Enterprise itself. It's an ends justifies the means rationale. And Rodney, our faculty philosopher, I think would call it a utilitarian mindset, which Star Trek usually refutes. For example, when Kirk and company stole the Enterprise to go back to the Genesis planet to find Spock, because the point of that was that the needs of the many do not outweigh the needs of the few or the one. In some extreme cases, maybe the ends justify the means might be necessary, but certainly not just to break someone's boyfriend out of prison. I do wonder, though, about this Vulcan Rehabilitation Center. It does not appear to always be voluntary on the part of the internees. The implication is that it provides some sort of deprogramming from emotions including of prisoners who've been captured using force. So is deprogramming from emotions something they're sentenced to by Vulcan authorities? I'm not very comfortable with what we know about this operation so far, but I assume that we will learn more as we go along. 
So some final thoughts about this episode. The setup uses some plot devices that gloss over details. Enterprise is out on the fringes of Federation space, known as the Wild West. My wife asked, how did the alleged Dr. Aspen contact the ship and ask for and receive Pike's help? How did she get on the ship? She was just there, and that was all glossed over. At one point, we did learn that a message to Starfleet Command would take a couple of days to go and get a reply. So did Pike just commit his ship on his own authority? I mentioned earlier that in this regard, the episode was reminiscent of Balance of Terror in that Kirk had to take action without the go-ahead from Starfleet. Now, if you read Gene Roddenberry's original pitch to NBC for Star Trek, he evoked the 19th century Navy captains who were often out of contact with the Admiralty for months at a time, so they had to make many decisions that today would be referenced to higher headquarters with more modern communications. In Star Trek that was produced later, after the original series, Starfleet Command always seems to be on the horn. So in many ways, the writers gave Picard and even Archer less independence than Kirk. And given that Pike is a decade or so before Kirk, there should be relatively fewer star bases and a lot less explored territory. I think dramatically for Strange New Worlds, it does work well to have Pike on the edge without backup and without immediate contact with his superiors, so the tough decisions all, um, or most of them, do fall in his lap. So with that, that's kind of my one person's thought about this episode. It's a shorter podcast because Rodney is not here. Next week, we do expect to have uh, our guest while Rodney is still off working on his special project, but we will be back next time for episode eight of Strange New Worlds. Keep track of our new episodes and other announcements on our Twitter feed at Trek underscore Academy, or you can subscribe directly at anchor.fm slash Star Trek Academy. Thanks for being here and join us again next time.